New Zealand men get sick more and die younger than women. The health gap between men and women is, in fact, a global problem. And for too long, men's health has concentrated on fitness, mental health, success and dating in separate silos, and that results or has resulted in bad outcomes. So says psychologist and medical doctor Dr. Kieran Kennedy and health journalist Scott Henderson. They believe it's time to redefine what it means to be a man and for men to take a holistic approach to taking care of ourselves. Their new book is called The Manual, A Practical Guide to Life, Health and Happiness. And Dr. Kieran Kennedy joins me now from Australia. Hi, Kieran. Hi, Jesse. Thank you so much uh, for that very kind info, mate, and for having me on. It's it's nice to uh, be hearing someone with a Kiwi accent, actually. Yeah, well, how does a kid from Waiuku become a uh, fancy TV doctor and psychiatrist in Australia? Trust me, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely miss miss back home, uh, that's for sure, and miss Waiuku. But, uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a wild ride uh, since those days on the farm. When you were growing, growing up here in New Zealand... Can you think of anyone who talked about men's health the way you do today? Uh, yeah, like my all of my family uh, are actually sort of a family of a lot of men. Um, I've got three younger brothers and, and things, but, you know, all of my family and, and particularly my dad, um, you know, always just very open to sort of talking about, um, you know, what's going on on the inside and talking about feelings, um, supporting one another in that way. So I think I did grow up with a lot of sort of very strong men around me and, and that strength included sort of that emotional openness and strength mm. really, which is uh, I think why I fell into psychology and then into medicine and psychiatry. So the stats, men in New Zealand are 20% more likely to die of a heart attack than women, 30% more likely to get diabetes why is men's health in such a sorry state? Yeah, and, you know, when you hear stats like that, it's it's really pretty shocking um, for a lot of people. And I think when we dive into the mental health stats, it's, it's even more so in terms of suicide rates for men and depression and anxiety. There's some biology in it in terms of the medicine and some of those biological differences between men and women. But the fascinating thing, for me and and for Scott and I with writing the book has been those social influences. And I think men not opening up uh, about problems or things that might be wrong, not acknowledging that something physically or mentally isn't, isn't right. Uh, and then being so much less likely to go to the GP, see a psychologist, see a psychiatrist. Those things have a massive influence that we're trying to change as well. Yeah. It's been, a, I've got to say a pretty good few years for, um, Things like openness around mental health, um, mm-hmm. conversations around social and gender expectations. But mm-hmm. there's a new idea in here, I think, for a lot of people that, that maybe some of those old-fashioned ideas about masculinity, the stuff we're familiar with, might have an impact on physical health as well as mental health for men. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I, I think there's been a lot in the media in recent years just as you say, just here around masculinity, manhood, what that kind of means in the modern world. Uh, and, you know, have talked to a lot of men about it, uh, talked to a lot of men in terms of writing this book. And that can be quite confusing. You know, I think a lot of men are in a space now where sort of masculinity is changing from some of those traditional things. And that's a great thing and a beautiful thing, but it's also quite a, a confusing thing in a way. But when we talk about masculinity and in the book, we talk a little bit about 
toxic masculinity, which is a term that's been thrown out there. And that's, as you say, looking at some of the more harmful ways men have sort of been pressured into thinking and feeling and acting in the past that might not be in our best interest when it comes to physical and mental health. Yeah, the, at worst, they're sometimes treated as synonym, uh, synonyms, masculinity and toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. as if there is something inherently bad mm-hmm. about masculinity. How, how do you define it? Mm-hmm. So I think masculinity, just as femininity is, it's it's sort of a, a social or cultural construct uh, for ways of thinking, acting and being um, when it comes to uh, manhood or, or sort of uh, having a, a masculine part to yourself and your and your personality and your life. And obviously for men and women, there are elements of femininity and masculinity. But basically, it's a, it's a sort of a, a gender construct in terms of how society frames what it means to be a man or a woman or to be masculine or feminine in society. And I think a beautiful thing about right now is that we're sort of rewriting the script for that, especially when it comes to masculinity. And I think that hopefully overall is going to lead to some really positive outcomes for men's health in the years to come. Okay, let's talk about some aspects of health. Food, of course, is a big factor. Is the male relationship with food as fraught as it is for women? Uh, It's pretty tricky for a lot of men, particularly young men. And that's something that really came through in the book and and with our research and my work, actually, in psychiatry as well. Uh, A lot of particularly young men at the moment do struggle with body image. Uh, They do struggle with food in terms of how that relates to themselves, weight, body image. Uh, So it can absolutely be fraught. And we know statistics around eating disorders and body image struggles for men are really skyrocketing at the moment. Um, So on the mental health side, it's, it's definitely something that's there just as much for men as women in a lot of ways, but I think for a long time it hasn't been talked about uh, or acknowledged uh, in, in that same way. Your co-author tried to go vegan, but it didn't really work out for him, did it? <laughs> he did, yeah. It's uh, one of the one of the favourite anecdotes in the book is, um, yeah, Scott talking about his forays into the the world of veganism and it not really working out for him. Um, but, you know, I think that's that's something that we hope sort of humanises these discussions around health for men as well. It's sort of Scott and I putting our own experiences in there and uh, acknowledging the fact that we're definitely not perfect either and that's definitely not what health is about. Another big health issue for men, young men in particular, is drinking and particularly binge drinking. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that we're making some progress there that that younger men um, or younger people in general, younger generations are less likely to drink as much as their forebears. What do you see? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, research and statistics show that sort of average alcohol intake has definitely reduced uh, for young men in Australia and New Zealand, as you say. Uh, it's still definitely a concern in terms of sort of especially I think the the social kind of pressures and things around alcohol use uh, and definitely in my work in psychiatry, I still see a lot of men struggling um, with alcohol and substances. And I think in most cases, it's it's often a way to sort of cover up some deeper pain or, or to offer a bit of an escape from that. Uh, but yeah, there are some definitely positive shifts around sort of binge drinking in particular uh, for young men in New Zealand. And, and that's a real positive because it sort of leads to a lot of potential physical harms, but particularly mental harms as well. Are you worried about vaping? 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, a lot out there about vaping at the moment. And I think um, one of the biggest concerns for me and a, and a lot of doctors is that it sort of has been marketed in a way as a, a safer alternative to smoking or a way to even sort of move away from smoking cigarettes. And um, as a lot of the research and, and calls to regulate things more have sort of pointed out, uh, we really just don't know half of what's in these and what the long-term effects are and what we do know is sort of showing that it's it's really harmful for the lungs and the body um, in much the same way that cigarettes often are so uh, definitely a concern i'm talking to dr kieran kennedy his book is called the manual a practical guide to life health and happiness focused particularly on men and uh, encourages them to take a holistic approach to taking care of themselves what's the best way to break a habit and replace it with something that's good for you kieran Oh, that's a that's a clincher there, isn't it? <laughs> One that I'm working on as well. Yeah. Uh, look, the the habits uh, habit sort of um, psychology is really really interesting, and I think with habits it comes down to kind of calling out the fact that it's a habit because it's become automatic, and so sort of kicking a, a not so helpful habit one of the best ways to do that is the the replacement schedule and that's finding something that you can acknowledge when that urge for the habit is there such as nail biting and then switching it to something that can give a little bit of a release in the same way so it might be some kind of sensory thing it might be taking a glass of water even um, but i think the main one is acknowledging what the habit is what triggers it and then making an actual conscious plan for something that you're going to swap it with in that moment. And uh, doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen in terms of switching it out. <laughs> when we talk about men's health, is there too much separation between mental health and physical health? Yeah, absolutely. And for a long time, even within medicine itself, we really just separated out the mind and the body. And uh, psychiatrists, for example, were, were set in completely separate parts of the hospital away from where we looked at the heart and the brain and, and the lungs. And it's really, really beautiful to see that modern medicine is embracing much more of the mind-body link. Uh, and a lot of our research now just shows how powerful that is. You know, um, outlook and optimism affecting healing rates after surgery, uh, anxiety and depression linking to cardiovascular disease and dementia risk. Uh, so it's, it's a really powerful link and one that I think we need to acknowledge more. Uh, and I think for men, tackling aspects of mental health through the body with exercise, diet, sleep um, is a powerful way I've found for, for us to help men kind of uh, improve their mental health through the body actually. What are some of the signs you see in men and boys that tell you something isn't right? Often it's uh, men sort of changing when it comes to how engaged they are and how much they're enjoying what's going on around them. Um, for depression, for example, men are much more likely to become more frustrated and irritable rather than emotional and sad. Uh, and men and, and boys are also more likely to just slowly start to disengage. Uh, so it might be from sports or outdoor pursuits that they enjoy. It might be from social time. Uh, and it can actually be from work as well in terms of the sort of the, the drive and enjoyment uh, that we're getting from those things. So I think a change in how someone's acting and engaging in their life can be a good way to sort of 
note down whether whether a man is struggling with something on the inside. And if you suspect a mate is struggling, you've got some advice in the book about how to talk to them about it. What do you suggest? Yeah, I think the the main thing far and away is to just note whatever side you're on, uh, broaching the topic and talking about it is you know, step number one, but it's also one of the most powerful steps to helping a mate, for example, with their mental health. I think there's been a lot of fear associated with asking people about their mental health. And I think particularly for men, because it's something for a long time we've maybe been made to feel we we don't do or shouldn't do. Uh, But I think just knowing that it's not about fixing or needing to have a problem solved, ready to go. It's about asking and listening. Um, And one of the tips we talk about in the book is adding a diffuser, which research actually shows can help men open up and, and ask and talk to their mates about this kind of thing and it's doing it while you're on a drive a walk a jog doing that job out the back of the house um, something that can kind of take a little bit of the intensity out of it that can be a, a good time to ask a mate uh, sort of man to man if they're doing all right and what's going on mm. what is a tricky one where does self-esteem and self-worth come from as a bloke mm. It's a massive one, um, but a really, really important one. You know, self-esteem and self-worth link significantly to our health, both mentally and physically. I think often they come from those early experiences that we've had, um, sort of some of those early things that we've been made to think and feel about who we are and, and where we belong in the world and, you know, to burrow right down into it, how worthy we actually are of love and belonging Um, and we talk a bit about uh, esteem versus worth in the book and self-esteem which has been talked about and pushed for a long time is is actually more related to how much we back ourselves to be achieving things and engaging in things in the world whereas for me the more important one and the deeper one is often looking at our self-worth which is our sense of how worthy we are of actually just being here separate to any of the the job stuff, the money stuff, the achievement Mm. stuff. And that often comes from sort of maybe difficult things we've been through in the past or or just sort of some of the messages we've got as as young people, young men about how how worthy we are of of being here and and of being accepted uh, by others. Kieran, who is Andrew Tate and why is he so popular? Ooh, that's a doozy. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> so Andrew Tate is uh, a gentleman who has, uh, to put it nicely and to, to keep it friendly for radio, some uh, very um, strong ideas about modern masculinity and, and some of the ways uh, that masculinity is, is potentially changing in the modern world. Uh, there's a lot of talk uh, from him, for example, around the fact that Men should still be men, uh, pushing a lot of those more, uh, what I would see in medicine, particularly as, as those more toxic aspects of masculinity um, in terms of how men should treat women, for example, how men should be expressing themselves, uh, that men shouldn't be talking about feelings and emotions. Uh, and I think there's an element of popularity to that because it's leaning into to some of the traditional ways that men have been told they should be an act. And it is confusing and I think quite confronting for a lot of men today to feel like masculinity is shifting somewhat. And so I think leaning into some of these more toxic traditional aspects of 
of manhood is actually quite attractive in its own way because it's a very clear blueprint in terms of how someone should act but it's it's not a helpful blueprint for men for women or society at large um, would be my sense of it how do you talk to a teenager and say hey maybe this guy isn't the right guy to model yourself on yeah tricky as you say because i think he does have a big following with teens and for me again that kind of goes hand in hand with the sense of during our teens particularly as as men it's a period where we're trying to figure out who we are and and what masculinity and manhood means and so i think that's why he's kind of pulled a lot of young men in to the side of things i think when talking to a teen about this it's it's talking about some of the potential harms that can come from from those attitudes you know to ourselves as men but also to women and, and to people around us and you know i think it's calling out sort of why those things are, are maybe pulling people in um but uh, talking about the fact that they're pulling people into some potentially not so good ways of thinking and feeling if, if we're sort of thinking about our health as young men at the end of the book you write the best words of advice we can leave you uh to talk to yourself as you would your closest friends with kindness, empathy, and encouragement. And so what happens, Kieran, when a man shows himself that sort of grace? Yeah, I think there's there can often be a really powerful shift when, particularly as men, we lean into sort of some of that vulnerability and some of that gentleness when it comes to ourselves. You know, I think still in society today, there's a lot of pressure, not just on men, but on everyone, uh, but in a lot of ways, particularly on men to have to be holding it together, strong, you know, invincible all the time. And often that can lead us to be talking to ourselves uh, in a way that we, just as we say in the book, there wouldn't be talking to a friend or a family member or someone that we love. Uh, so I think if we can lean into a sort of putting that towards ourselves a little bit more, research does so that it goes a long way to actually protecting us when it comes to things like depression, anxiety, and even our physical health. So again, cottoning on and, and coining into what we're saying to ourselves, often in stressful moments, can be a powerful way to just recognize what's there and, and start to shift it to a more positive sort of kind frame. Great work. Uh, I've been talking to Dr. Karen Kennedy. He's a psychologist, psychiatrist, medical doctor, and with health journalist Scott Henderson. He's written a book. It's called The Manual, A Practical Guide to Life, Health, and Happiness. Karen, thanks so much for your time today. Well done on the book. Thank you. Thank you so much, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and like I say, nice uh, getting a little bit of time chatting to someone back home as well.